Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Sons of Ignatius podcast. I'm Father Niall Leahy, and I am talking today to Dr. Kevin Hargaden and Dr. Kira Murphy. Now, we work in the same building, so we operate on a first name basis, but I am just giving them their full titles <laughs> to show how much respect I have for these two people and to let you, the listeners, know that these two people know what they're talking about. And Kevin and Kira work in the Jesuit Centre for Faith and Justice. So I might just begin with you, Kevin. Could you just briefly introduce yourself and what the centre does? Thanks, Niall. My role is social theologian, which sadly doesn't mean that the Jesuits give me an expense account to take people out for pints. It's not that kind of social theologian. My job is to think about how theology intersects with questions of social justice, particularly in Ireland, particularly around questions of policy because the centre is a research centre that seeks to concretely influence the Irish society and Irish government towards a position of justice, as understood in Catholic social teaching. So I get to work with Kira and my other wonderful colleagues who are experts in their areas, and together we make up a pretty good team. Kira, is that actually what Kevin does? Does he actually try and take the gospel and translate that into good and just and fair policy for Ireland? Oh, 100%. <laughs> is he good at it? Is he's he? very good at it. Oh, wow. He's, yeah, he's, um, he's... Social theologians for the win. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he embeds it into all of our work, which is great. Oh, he must be intolerable, is he? <laughs> Surprisingly, no. He's actually okay. Uh, is getting a raise now. Kira, <laughs> what's your part in the role in the team? Uh, so I work as an environmental policy advocate within the team. So I mainly work on the caring for a common home and kind of the implementation, I suppose, of the original Laudatio which was published eight years ago. And another role that I have is the ecology delegate within the province. So I try and influence the province to be more environmentally friendly. I when suppose. you say province, that means the Irish Jesuits, yeah, the Irish, Irish Jesuit, Jesuit province. Yeah. yeah. And you are dragging us kicking and streaming, screaming towards something environmental like justice. Yeah. yeah uh, some, you know, some of us enthusiastically, others it's a work in progress, isn't it, Kira? There we go. And the reason we have you here today, Kira, instead of Keith or Martinez, that we are talking about environmental justice today, more specifically the Pope's latest exhortation on environmental justice and climate change, really, isn't it? Yeah. So the latest exhortation is specifically about climate change. So it's kind of a follow on from Laudato Si, which is kind of more a general ecological degradation which was about a general ecological degradation, but this one is specifically about climate change and it is very forceful around rebuting the denial and the mm. the kind of false narrative around that it's not anthropogenic, that it's not human-caused, and it's very, very clear that we need to do something about it. Yeah, and it's called Laudate Deum, which means y'all praise God. <laughs> in American <laughs> and so Kevin could you just explain maybe like what its link is with like Laudato Si and why now well even from his first night as the Pope Jorge Bergoglio chose Francis as his name because he intended to reclaim recover rejuvenate 
a certain kind of Franciscan understanding of Christianity, which is an ecological understanding of Christianity. And we, myself and Kira, our lives really have been dominated by this 2015 letter that Laudato Si, which is, uh, I've studied all of the, pretty much all of the Catholic social doctrine documents. This one is the most remarkable that I personally have ever read. It's a combination of engagement with the scientific facts and its understanding of how those facts aren't morally neutral, they have social implications, and then this wonderful theology and spirituality, at the end of it, it, it becomes like really mind-blowing, transcendental spirituality. Yeah. And here, with Laudate Deum, right at the very beginning, Pope Francis says that our responses have not been adequate and that the earth is approaching a breaking point. And so we can see Laudato Deum on one level as a sequel, but on another level, it's more like a reboot particularly with COP28 coming, which is this big international conference that's going to happen in November and December in the United Arab Emirates. And the document, as Francis puts it, is intended to clarify and complete the work of Laudato Si. Right. And as Kira has alluded to, his fury boils, simmers below the surface. He is not happy with the delay tactics, the denial tactics, and the general kind of lack of fervor around this particular yeah. topic. And he does get into climate change arguments like he didn't in, in Laudato Deum, in Laudato Si, he didn't really. He sort of said there is a consensus emerging about the anthropogenic, the, that climate change is caused by human activity. He's much clearer and like he gets into the science of it, doesn't he, Kira? Yeah, in Laudato Si, I think he covered all different issues. He covered water access, he covered biodiversity, obviously climate change and general ecosystem degradation but yeah in in the latest letter he actually has incredibly robust scientific kind of rationale and and knowledge and including some of the kind of lesser known impacts of climate change such as ocean acidification that gets a mention which wouldn't be at the top of everyone's list of climate impacts but it is such a huge one that is the implications of it are absolutely huge and just the fact that that is mentioned is it, it means that he's deeply knowledgeable about yeah the climate change its impacts and its causes so it's not as if he's just been reading the guardian for the last sort of few months <laughs> kind of cobbled together a few popular arguments uh, it looks like it's been really well researched and up to date yeah it's very well researched one of the first thoughts that i had when reading it was just like i'd love to have this document Anytime someone came up with an argument against why we should do something and I'd point to a particular paragraph and be like, uh, no. He argues all the points quite well. And I come from a science background and having the science clear and concise and well communicated was very impressive. So one of the the old chestnuts he, he challenges is, oh, but the climate has always been changing. And he brings up the point that, yes, it's always been changing, but never this fast. And it's really like when you look at the last 200 years, like it's been the change has been accelerating. Yeah. And he notes that weather is different to climate. Yeah. yeah. So I think that that's a really, that's yeah. really clearly put forward. Yeah. How and many then, times, Kira, and I, have had, I quite like global warming, yeah. actually. Yeah. So like yeah. we're, we're having a, a mild summer. Yeah. This is great. But yeah, it's kind of like temperatures don't always have to be very high. They can dip. It's climate breakdown more so it's kind of the instability of our climate and 
the atmosphere. I think, yeah, he gets across the point that it's not that everyone thing is going to get warmer. It's everything will be unstable. Unstable. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. think lots of commentators have noted how good he is on the science yeah. and how this document is like a, even if you weren't at all a Christian, this would be an essential document to have in your back pocket to deal with the various arguments of denial and delay. But what I love about this document, as with everything that Pope Francis publishes, is that he's not just showing off the knowledge that he and his team has. His point there is one about justice. He talks about the scarcely reasonable opinions of the people who aren't engaging with the facts, who would even de- uh, deny, conceal, gloss over or relativize the reality. And the point is, for him, as usual, when we do that, it's the poor who suffer. So his concern isn't just to like have a kind of nerdy, precise scientific conversation. His concern is when we engage with these fantasy ideas about temperatures have always been changing then we're actually setting up a situation where the people who have done the least damage to the environment will suffer the most and that suffering is already here and is intensifying and on the issue of the poor as well he is clearly saying as well that the people from countries with large populations let's say in developing worlds they're not the guilty ones don't be pointing the finger at overpopulation of the world that's not the issue the issue is lifestyle I mean, the fancy word for that, of course, is Malthusianism after the cleric, the Anglican who came up with it in the first place. But he goes after a bunch of ideas. I once encountered a Catholic who was convinced that global warming was caused by volcanoes and seemed like something that was an imp- Where did this idea come from? It turns out that this is very common on YouTube and in territories of the internet where I rarely am. But Francis tackles those common misconceptions. He either directly tackles them or takes the ground from underneath them. It's all very impressive as a polemical piece. Yeah. And most of these apostolic exhortations are diplomatic and vague. This is punchy. Yeah. Because there are environmentalists out there who would say, well, the problem is there are too many human beings on the planet. And then you have, let's say, pro-life Christians going, oh, environmentalism is all about, like, you know, getting rid of the human beings and human beings are a virus. I know I've had people say to me, I'm not for Pope Francis for Laudato Si because, you know, environmentalism is all about reducing human population. I'm like, no, he actually disagrees with that. Like, please read it. <laughs> you know, stop attributing other people's ideas to Francis. I mean, for years, just repeatedly, Kira and I have had the experience of taking the core idea of Laudato Si, this idea of integral ecology, which is the idea that we don't just have one crisis, a scientific crisis, scientifically described crisis in the climate. We have two crises, the environmental collapse and the associated social collapse. What he's saying there isn't as simple as when the climate collapses, we're going to have social problems. He's also saying, and it's very clear in Laudato Deum, the climate is collapsing because we have rampant inequality, because we have greed. And that integral ecology as a framework allows us to do a huge number of things ourselves within the JCFJ to think about housing, to think even about criminal justice differently. But in Laudato Si, he uses integral ecology very clearly to push back against throwaway culture and the culture of death. So Laudato Si explicitly talks about the environmental crisis and abortion together. Right. So that conservative reactionary position that thinks that Pope Francis is overemphasizing the environmentalism angle mm. at the expense of more traditional Catholic social doctrine. For the large part, at this stage, I think that that's got to be attributed to ignorance mm. or ill will because Francis is very clear. Both of those things are the same kind of problem. Yes. Okay. So he's up in his, he's up in his science. But it is for the purpose of acting justly. It's not just for being a 
what's the word? Uh, climate often is that the word uh, or, or his word technocrat technocrat <laughs> that's the point i want to get to and he's very much on the side of the poor because the poor are not causing this problem and yet they are the ones who are going to suffer the most because of it and you've mentioned greed kevin so greed that is part of the problem now technology gets a good airing in this letter as well and the technocratic paradigm could you just introduce us to that what's kira what is pope francis getting at when he's kind of complaining about the overuse and immoral use let's say of technology and role of technology in our society today in this case i think he's kind of warning us i suppose against over reliance on technology to fix the problem like we can't rely on carbon capture storage. We can't rely on future technologies which will eventually solve the problem. It's just like this is, as Kevin said, it's a social and ecological issue rolled into one. So we can't just treat the symptoms and expect it to be fixed. Like this is yeah. a, we need to fundamentally change the system and we can't rely on technology to do that. Right. Okay. So we can't. Everyone just can't exchange their two petrol cars for two electric cars, for example. That won't do it. No, we can't continue, I suppose, to live the life that we are accustomed to and make the changes that are needed. Yeah. So, like, obviously, all of the clean technologies that are coming out are incredibly important. Like, we need mm. solar energy. We need renewable. We need to use what we have available, but it is our reliance on them, thinking that it will be a silver bullet fix I think is what he is warning us against and I think we need to accept that we have to have the internal conversion we have to have the ecological conversion to know that what is again I know in, in the most recent in, in Laudato Deum he kind of questions like what is my life for like mm. what is the point of my life what is my work for and from what I kind of gathered from that it's just like we need to question ourselves like what is enough what is enough in my life how do i simplify my life to make it better and more sustainable and more in line with how we can function yeah. i suppose sustainably within the system so yeah so i totally agree that's the key question what is enough and what is luxury and in the western world that line is in the wrong place there are things which we take as normal and as necessities which are in fact luxuries like 8 billion people the plan doesn't have enough resources to allow 8 billion people to live the way Americans or Westerners live or Irish or Irish, Irish yeah, yeah. take up yeah. three times more than than, than we're yeah. entitled to yeah yeah so to be honest like that was one of my I suppose frustrations with the exhortation Laudato Deum was that he's kind of saying okay you have to live a simpler lifestyle but he doesn't at all say what that is at all and i know he probably doesn't want to be prescriptive when something is just really general like that you got to whatever you have to spend less or consume less well then everything can just kind of go that oh yeah well maybe i'll have steak three times a week rather than five how are we going to actually develop new moral norms about what is enough because I don't think the Pope is going to necessarily help us do that Papal encyclical can do one thing really and it can't unpack those kinds of questions but that's why Francis paired Laudato Si with the Laudato Si movement 
with his initiative around the Francesco economy, you know, he clearly intends to document to inspire all kinds of local actions. So even in our own parish here, Niall, you've built a polytunnel, you're using that for the congregation, you're using that for the community, you're using that for the school. It's the kind of ecological education process intended to spark that ecological conversion that mm-hmm. Kira is talking about. And those small, tiny shoots, again, sticking with our ecological metaphors, can fill the important niches that are required to yeah. bring about the change that we're looking for. So Francis, I think, gives us the framework to think about these things. Yeah. And in our thinking and living, then we can enact changes that are contextual. I think one important thing that he clarifies as well is the interaction between individual action, communal, and then how it can lead to political action. Mm. So he very clearly says that personal action is like a, it's a human dignity or personal dignity kind of. We need to change for our own dignity. But he also recognizes that we, our individual actions won't make quantitative change. We won't reduce emissions in the atmosphere enough by individual actions. The real action needs to take place at a political level and the people who hold the most power. But he's also incredibly clear that we're never going to get the political change unless we have the ecological conversion. We need to create a change in our culture, which then catalyzes, I suppose, the change, the political change that we do need. We're never going to get political change or system change without first having personal action and first having the internal conversion and working communally in our communities and parishes and at local level. So he's very, very clear that we need action at all different levels from individual, communal and political. But I think in a letter of this type, he can't specifically say what you're meant to do, because in every single like this is this is going to every single person. Yeah. Yeah. The context will change for different people. The actions will be completely different. If you're reading this as someone who's in the who emits below average, your action will be very, very different from someone who's in the highest emissions. He can't Mm. say don't travel on on private jet because wait, well, it would be a very good thing. He'd be speaking directly to a few people. Right. He does get particular at the end of the letter and he mentions the average carbon footprint. Is that the right word? Yeah. Of a US American compared to a Chinese person. I'm losing the details there, but he does point the finger he does. at our American friends. Yeah, he points the finger to those who emit the most. Right. So, And he does specifically mention the US as having an incredibly high footprint. But yeah, so he is clear that while it is political, for the percent of people who have incredibly high emissions, their personal actions will make a huge difference. Right. So for the highest emissions, for the highest emitters, the personal changes and personal actions and the ecological conversion that's needed there will actually make quite a big difference just. Yeah. So the ecological conversion of one large emitter would have a much bigger impact than the ecological conversion of 10 small emitters. Well, in terms of carbon pollution in the atmosphere. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If one person just gives up their private jet. Yes. We need. <laughs> if, if Taylor Swift stops using the private jet yeah. to get McDonald's, then. Yeah. Well, uh, listen, Taylor, I'm going to give you the right to reply. Feel free to come on. To, uh, I do think so. Yeah. It's really quite depressing that this wonderful document was published and the discourse 
in the days afterwards was dominated by the perception that Francis had insulted America by this reference. I think that this is once again an expression of Americans suffering from the central character syndrome that they endure as being the imperial power. He's just taking America because America has the highest emissions. If it was another country, you would have... Exactly. If it had been France who was top of the emissions, then he would compare France to China. Why? Because China is the developing power who has the fastest growing emissions. The argument isn't against America. The argument is trying to clarify, as he puts it in the exact same paragraph, that what we're aiming for is genuine care for one another. And it takes remarkable poor reading skills to see an argument about genuine care for one another and to see it as some kind of political attack against the United States of America. That's not what's going on here. His goal is to get us to think about what we can do to enact an ecological conversion in our own life for our own sake and to generate the kind of political change that we need systematically. Kevin, is this ecological conversion also some sort of, does it have a spiritual dimension? And Does Francis mention that? Absolutely. As you said, the document is about praising God. I think that some skeptics might say, well, he leaves all the spiritual bits to chapter six. But that's because the goal of this document in terms of its specific political aim is to influence these negotiations at COP28. Right. He spends a lot of time talking about COP28 and Kira can go into that as somebody who's been at COP and who's planning for COP28. But in terms of chapter six, then it's one of the most striking articulations of serious devotional eco-theology that I've read. And for skeptics who maybe, as you've alluded to, people who think that Francis has made this kind of doctrinal mistake by committing to environmentalism, it's important for you to go to the last paragraph where his last killer blow is to say, when human beings claim to take God's place, they become their own worst enemies. Right. That's a theological claim and it is a devotional claim. Mm-hmm. It demands mm-hmm. that the reader who isn't just scanning really takes heed of the way in which this crisis is a crisis of idolatry. Ooh. Right. Okay. So instead of worshipping the creator, we're worshipping the creation in a sense. We're worshipping, I think Francis is saying we're worshipping ourselves and right. our appetites and that it's yeah. greed and that insufficiently yeah. worthy for a human being who's made in the image of God. And that is in scripture. I'm going to say Colossians. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 greed Paul, is idolatry. Colossians 3 verse yeah, 5 maybe. Just thank to, you. Yeah. Right. Paul definitely said that. Greed yeah. is a form of idolatry. Yeah, so, and there's definitely a lot of greed in the world at the moment and seeking salvation, I guess, yeah. from material things and from the honor that comes from them. Yeah. Hoping to get out of this life alive yeah. by uh, accumulating enough luxuries and enough supports. But I think it's important to see that it being at chapter 6 at the end isn't because this is not needed. It's rather so that the key audience for this, who might not have any Catholic devotion, would read the COP stuff first. So, I mean, Kira can speak to... Kira, yeah. Where are we with COP meetings, COP28 then? So COP28 is taking place in the United Arab Emirates this late November, start of December. And I think it's difficult to talk about... 28. 28. That tells a story in itself, doesn't it? (laughs) We've had 20... 27 of these and we're still... And, and we still have, haven't officially mentioned fossil fuels, like the words fossil fuels in any of the outputs yet. Oh my God. And it's these guys' job to... To Reduce solve, carbon... Co- yeah. yeah. <laughs> to solve wow. climate change. God, I think I could... I think I'd have a better stop. Yeah. <laughs> All these experts. Go on. Um, 
it's an annual conference and the main point is trying to get agreement of how we're going to proceed with responding to climate change so the most i suppose well-known one would be the one the paris agreement Mm. in i think that was cop 21 2015 that was the one inspired by laudato si they say was very decisive in terms of pushing people to make a decision there it was definitely the paris agreement where we agreed to, I suppose, limit heating to 1.5 degrees or between 1.5 and 2. Mm-hmm. And we put in all of these structures in place and every year we've been kind of clarifying the rules and trying to figure out how we're going to finance it and loss and damage for the damage that's already done. But it hasn't actually started to bend the emissions down yet. Right. We're working so hard to try and find agreements, but actually implementing any of these policies that are meant to try and make a difference where countries take responsibility for their own emissions and kind of pull them down, it hasn't yet made a difference in terms of the emissions that are being produced. Yeah. But in this document, Pope Francis is incredibly hopeful that we can still make a difference. He specifically said that to say that there is nothing to hope for will be suicidal. It would mean exposing all humanity, especially the poorest, to the worst impacts of climate change. He's basically saying we need to hope for the best in this COP28 because we really don't have an alternative at this point. There is a lot of good work done at the COP28 conference and at all the COP processes, but it really is the case where these are really important key moments in a year in terms of climate change. But it really can't be the only time we care about climate change. And I think that's really clear in this document as well in Laudate Deum as well in that he specifically mentions COP28 but it's very clear that it is not the only time we need to care about this the emissions need to come down we really need really strong political leadership to turn this around yeah you're quite well plugged in in the Irish environmental scene how how are we doing here in Ireland um we've really good policies (laughs) right moving quickly on (laughs) I feel there's a but coming on Um, I think we have a very green perception internationally, but we cannot hide from the fact that we have one of the highest emissions. We are one of the highest emitters in the EU. We produce over 11 tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent per annum. Per person? Yeah, per person. Um, That's a lot. It's a lot. And we need to basically reduce that in half by 2030 and less than two by 2050. And we have never managed to bend our emissions or to reduce our emissions apart from wavered during COVID. In terms of actually physically reducing our emissions, there's an awful lot of groundwork being done in terms of good policies and trying to change the transport system and retrofitting, but nothing is happening at a fast enough scale to actually reduce our emissions. Okay. Okay. So there's good intentions there and good policies. But the numbers, yeah, it does come down to like the, the, the numbers don't lie. Numbers don't yeah, lie yeah, and they're uncomfortable truths. policies doesn't necessarily not biting mean yeah. action. Um, one of the hard things I find with our own personal carbon emissions is that you can be doing really well, like, you know, say for like 364 days of the year. Oh, I take the bus and I don't eat so much red meat or whatever. And then... And the last day and go, oh, I think I'll just fly over to New York. <laughs> and then you've totally busted through, you know, there's your three tons of carbon or whatever. It's yeah, like it really does require a sustained long term lifestyle change. Yeah, 
we can go back to what we said before. It is defining what is enough and yeah. learning and to sticking live simply. To that. Yeah, yeah, but sticking, but kind of learning to find, I suppose, sticking to it, but making a life that is good. And like sometimes, like you're going to have some unavoidable emissions. Like let's just say, if you have family members abroad, sometimes you need to go. It is trying to find the balance of what is enough for me to live a good life within the planetary boundaries that exist and that are unchangeable. Well, could I say maybe we might come back to that question then? I think we've given a decent treatment today of Hope's kind of universal view on this. And yeah, we might just, I'd really like to come back with both of you and talk about what does that sustainable lifestyle look like for us in Ireland and, and how do we move towards that? Would you be up for that? Yeah, sounds good. Absolutely, our carbon emissions are very low. Walking. So tell you what, I'll just, I'll just bring, I'll just bring the microphones down to coffee break like next week, and this is this is what you guys talk about anyway, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so doctors Kevin Hargadon and Kier Murphy, thank you so much for coming in and talking with me today, and to all our listeners, thanks for tuning in again to Sons of Ignatius. If you want to make contact, you can do so through email that's hello at sons of ignatius.com or we're on twitter as well at ignatius sons i think and if you have any questions or things that you'd like us to talk about we'd be happy to do that and until our next time i say thank you very much again and god bless mm-hmm.